This is the American Association of Orthodontists, the Business of Orthodontics podcast, episode 14. Welcome. I'm Pam Paladin here with Kevin Dillard, the AAO's General Counsel, and Sean Murphy, the AAO's Associate General Counsel. Today's podcast will touch on the recent AAO Professional Advocacy Conference in Washington, D.C., and uh, some bills that the AAO is supporting. We will be joined later on by Amy Smith and Pari Modi from Arnold and Porter, the AAO's Legislative Council in Washington, D.C., for some specifics on what's happening on the Hill. Let's talk first a little bit about this wonderful recent professional advocacy conference in Washington. Kevin, can you uh, give us an overview of how this conference is of benefit to AAO members? It is the single most important event as far as uh, the AO's advocacy efforts in D.C. throughout the year. We bring about this year a little over 100 members of the AO to Washington, D.C., uh, they learn from our legislative council some of the hot issues, the landscape, so to speak, the political landscape. And then they were briefed on some of our big issues, which we're going to talk about. And then they all grouped into teams and went to the Hill. And this year, we had about 60 meetings with actual members of Congress and then quite a few more with staffers who often make the decisions for a grand total of a little over 100 total meetings on Capitol Hill. So that is a significant, uh, first of all, a significant increase over what we've done in the past. It's exciting to see AO members having the excitement and interest in our legislative agenda. It is our opportunity to go to Capitol Hill and speak as one voice for the orthodontic profession. Do you feel like the face-to-face makes a big difference? Absolutely, it does. No question that when members are in their offices in D.C., and they have people from across the nation flying in to talk to them specifically about things that are on their mind. That makes a big impact. And the staffers know it, the members know it, and it, it moves the agenda that we have significantly up the priority list. And Sean, this was your very first uh, experience with AAO's Professional Advocacy Conference. How was it? It was, Pam. It was a great experience. I had the opportunity to visit with several staff of different representatives and senators with Dr. Peffer from Pennsylvania. And in visiting with them, as Kevin noted, you could really see the impact it has on that staff and those offices, having people there, individuals in a seat, actually speaking about these agenda items rather than just a paid lobbyist being the one in the seat. Well, let's get into uh, some of the things that were being talked about at the Professional Advocacy Conference. In particular, there are three bills. uh, Their formal names are H.R. 4223, H.R. 509, and H.R. 649, which I'm sure means a great deal to all of us in in the audience, but we will learn more. Uh, We are going to talk now with Amy Smith from... Uh, our legislative council in Washington, D.C., and that uh, company is Arnold and Porter. And uh, welcome, Amy. And please give us an overview of these bills. They're, they're, they're about student debt, and they're going to touch our members in, in some way. That's right. Thank you, Pam, so much for having me. So you're right. Um, we advocated on easing the burden of student loan debt uh, during the advocacy conference this year. And that did include three specific bills that AAO supports. Um, I can talk a little bit about um, the process for introducing and getting bills through the legislative process, if that's helpful. 
really any member can introduce a bill. Uh, several members have certain policy issues they champion. Each of our bills that I'm, that you mentioned and that I'll discuss are all sponsored by Democrats. And I, and I will say that Democrats typically have really carried the flag on college affordability issues, but I will talk a little bit on each one about the co-sponsorship, who else supports them, and whether they're bipartisan or not, because obviously that matters, particularly in a Republican-controlled Congress as we're in right now. So the, the first one is H.R. 4223, as you mentioned. The official name is actually Protecting Our Students by Terminating the Graduate Rates that Add to Debt. And as you know, everybody in Washington loves an acronym. So it's really the Post-Grad Act. And the reason it's the Post-Grad Act is because what it would do is reinstate the in-school interest subsidy on graduate student loans and other professional programs as well. So what it means is that currently students in a federal direct loan program that are borrowing from the federal government in graduate school accrue interest on their student loans while they're in school. Undergraduate students do not have that same liability. They get to forego the interest until they graduate. Um, graduate students used to also have that luxury, but back in 2011, Congress changed that to pay for new programs. So they eliminated that in-school interest subsidy that I previously referred to. Who's sponsoring this bill? Congresswoman Judy Chu, a Democrat from California, is the lead sponsor. She does have 20 other co-sponsors. As I mentioned before, this is a heavily Democratic bill. So um, all of those co-sponsors are Democrats. But I will say that the bill also enjoys endorsements from 18 policy associations, both in the healthcare and the higher education space, which is um, typically very important for members to get some backing from folks you know, outside, outside of the Hill, but in the policy space. And Another thing I'll just mention about the importance of this of this bill is that in previous budget resolutions that House Republicans have passed, they've actually called for eliminating that that in-school interest subsidy for the undergraduates that I talked about was still available. That's been floated in the last few Congresses, last few budget resolutions to eliminate that as well. So advocating for the graduate school subsidy is really important because it sends the message that not only do AAO members care about the graduate school subsidy, but they also really care about the undergraduate subsidy and hope it doesn't go away as well. Well, it sounds like a great idea. I can't imagine that anyone would actually be opposed to this. Well, you'd be surprised. Um, actually, there's a it's a cost issue here. When they eliminated the subsidy back in 2011, it was touted as saving $18 billion for the federal government. So that really is the big issue here and why we haven't seen any Republicans jump on yet. But I will say that supporters and you know AO members recognize that that's currently $18 billion that students are now paying for their education. And this is something that, uh, this is a bill that AAO is supporting. Correct. Great. How likely uh, do you think it is? Put on your, your uh, prognosticator's hat and uh, tell me, do you think this is going to pass or, or not? Most of the higher education bills that are being floated, particularly in the student loan space, which this one is in and a lot of the bills we're advocating on behalf of are in, probably will not move a standalone legislation. The reauthorization of the major higher education bill, which is the Higher Education Act, is actually overdue. Um, and while many folks in the education policy space in D.C. thought that that bill might progress this year and in this Congress, it is now much less likely to do so. We know because of the 
the price tag on this bill and that there are no Republican supporters, it's very unlikely to move forward unless it can be combined with something else that's a little less off-putting um, for conservatives who want to pay for. But at least this is something that's, that's it's now going to be on the minds of, of people in Congress. So it's at least it's a start if nothing else. As I mentioned, the really, you know, the big picture and uh, because what I will say is a lot of Republicans do care about student debt, just as the Democrats do. And so the big picture is getting the messaging out and finding what the right mix is of legislation to reduce the burden of cost for students, but also without having the federal government um, have to take on a lot more debt of its own. Amy, let's talk now about H.R. 509, the the SLID Act. I left these names. <laughs> Student Loan Interest Deduction. Uh, what is this bill? What would it do? So this bill is huge for AAO members. What it would do is it would double the maximum allowable deduction. So when AAO members, orthodontists, file their taxes, they are allowed to, and anybody is allowed to deduct a certain amount on their taxes if they paid student loan interest. The problem is, is there is a cap on what you can deduct, and then there's an income phase out. So many orthodontists um, and AAO members do not qualify for this current deduction. So what the bill would do is it would actually eliminate that income phase out so that anybody um, paying interest on their student loans would qualify. And then it it doubles the current maximum of 2500 to 5000 and then doubles it for joint filers to 10000 which is huge. That doesn't currently exist right now either. You know, when we were lobbying on this last week, we got a lot of support, both from conservatives and liberals. And it seemed to at least be, you know, a very palatable solution on um, easing the burden of student loan debt. I will say it has quite a number of co-sponsors, uh, 58 at this point, all Democrats. The lead sponsor is Charlie Rangel from New York. But I will say, you know, both the American Dental Association and the American Student Dental Association have endorsed this bill as well. So the orthodontists are right there with them. It makes a lot of sense. That's great. It's, it just sounds like the way things are now, it almost penalizes people for the income that they're able to, to make. It absolutely does. And it actually provides a disincentive to go, you know, to go on to graduate school programs sometimes and to earn those, those degrees that earn higher dollars. So if this does not pass, uh, is there a likelihood that this could be stepping stones to other kinds of legislation? I think we have to wait and see again what happens with the Higher Education Act when it's reauthorized and what's included there, but also tax reform. This is something that could get um, picked up as part of a comprehensive tax reform package. President Obama and um, his budget request for the year, which was released last month, actually suggested eliminating the deduction altogether. So even for the lower, the folks below the income threshold or within the income threshold, because he wanted to expand and kind of update the tax credit. So I think there's a lot of talk about, you know, how to maximize uh, tax credits and deductions for folks. And so we just have to see again, how that plays out this year in a presidential election year. So you at Arnold and Porter are going to be keeping a very close eye on that on behalf of the AAO, I'm sure. You know, I've actually already talked to to all three offices that have introduced these bills. And we want to, you know, we wanted to make sure they knew that the AO is supporting them and how we can work with them and stay in touch on, you know, how, how they're talking to leadership about getting these to the finish line. 
The third educational bill we'll be talking about with Amy today is H.R. 649, and that is the Student Loan Refinancing Act, and I see that one does not have an acronym. No um, witty acronym yet, but who knows? Somebody might come up with one. I will say it kind of speaks for itself. So the problem here is that right now there really is no way um, to refinance federal loans with the government. You can pretty much only do this in a limited capacity through certain private lenders. That's a big deal for folks who have federal student loans and who trust um, the federal government. There are a lot more protections through the federal government loan program. So this bill would allow borrowers who are repaying their federal student loans to refinance at a lower interest rate whenever it becomes available. And it would be tied to the market. So right now, um, a lot of a lot of students got locked into loans a couple of years ago at about a six point eight percent rate. Now that would drop by three percentage points. So that that's huge savings. In the well, long- yeah, over the life of a loan, that could be a lot of money. That's right. And it would fix it for the life of the loan, actually, unless the borrower choose, chooses to modify again, which the bill does allow. It allows them to to modify anytime the rates are lower. And this, again, applies just to federal student loans. Is that right? That is right. Um, I will say the the member who introduced this bill, um, Congressman Pocon out of Wisconsin, is a Democrat. He has about 40 co-sponsors. He has attracted some bipartisan support here. He's gotten a couple of Republican co-sponsors. He is also on the Education and Workforce Committee. So out of the three bills, the, um, this is the only one that has a lead sponsor that's on the relevant committee of jurisdiction and that um, has bipartisan support. And I will say the reason I believe that he has been able to attract a couple of Republicans to sign on to this is because there's actually no pay-for mechanism here. It really is just tied to the market and it allows students to refinance their student loans, just like homeowners can refinance uh, their mortgages whenever loan rates are lower. Great synopsis. Thank you very much. Let's take a short break. When we return, we will begin to talk about updates on the RAISE Act and the Professional Advocacy Conference. Trying to straighten your teeth yourself can cause serious damage and tooth loss. Moving teeth is a healthcare procedure that needs the supervision of an orthodontist. These are experts in moving teeth and aligning jaws. For more, visit mylifemysmile.org. Welcome back to Episode 14 of the Business of Orthodontics podcast. I'm Pam Paladin here with Kevin Dillard, AAO's General Counsel, and Sean Murphy, the AAO's Associate General Counsel. And we're joined by representatives of Arnold and Porter, the AAO's Legislative Council in Washington. And our guests are Amy Smith and Pari Modi. In this segment, we're talking about the RAISE Act, which is something that we've talked about before on the podcast. Pari, can you give us a, just a quick update and overview of, of what the RAISE Act is and what it would do? Sure, sure. And it's uh, it's wonderful to be speaking with you today. Um, so the RAISE Act, it's another one of those bills with a long uh, acronym. So it's the Responsible Additions and Increases to Sustain Employee Health Benefits Act. It was introduced last February and um, really led by the AAO from the beginning, introduced by uh, a bipartisan team in uh, the House of Representatives, uh, Representative Steve Stivers, who's a Republican from Ohio. And also Representative Michelle Lujan Grisham, who's a Democrat from New Mexico. And basically, the the RAISE Act does just three things. It takes the current cap for contributions to a flexible spending account, or FSA, and increases it from $25.50 
to $5,000, so allows families to increase their contributions to FSAs. It would also allow families who have uh, more dependents, so like a larger family, to increase their contributions. So every dependent over two dependents in a family could add an extra $500 to the FSA. And then the third thing it would do would be to get rid of the use it or lose it rule, which um, under current law doesn't allow families to roll over the balances in their flexible spending accounts to the following year. And it would allow families to carry over any unused funds in perpetuity. There have been two studies done with AAL members who tell us that about one in four of their new patients use FSA funds to pay for part or all of their orthodontic treatment. So this is a big deal for AAL members. It really is. When we were on the Hill, we were hearing from a lot of AO members about how this is really a key issue for their patients and something that they speak about with their patients on a, on a daily basis, really. We had our professional advocacy conference in Washington not too long ago, and the raise bill was part of what was uh, discussed. Has anything changed as a result of uh, our Capitol Hill visits? It has. There's, there was a tremendous response to the RAISE Act. This really is a bill that enjoys really strong bipartisan support. And uh, the AO membership did a tremendous job of advocating for it while we were on the Hill. Within two days after the conference, we had six additional new co-sponsors to the bill. So these are members of Congress who have agreed to sign on and support the bill. I, I would like to announce the the winning team. We've had, uh, of those six new co-sponsors, two were from New York. So the group of orthodontists from New York did a great job. And overall, there were uh, four Republicans and two Democrats that signed on. So what does that mean now? What does that mean for the act's passage? Anything? It, it does. The, the more co-sponsors and the more support that a bill has, the more likely it is that leadership will decide to bring that bill up to the floor for a vote. We, we really do expect, even though we've had six so far, it's, it's really just been a, a week since the conference and the House is in recess right now, which means um, all the members are back in their district and not here right now. And we expect when the House comes back next week, we'll see another uptick in sponsorship. And we've also, as Legislative Council here in D.C., been following up with a lot of the offices that the AO members have said that they had positive meetings with to, um, to make sure that they really do take those steps to sign on to the bill. If the RAISE Act does not pass this Congress, and it was introduced in February of 2015, uh, and it doesn't pass this, this Congress, does that mean that all this work is for naught, we have to go back to the drawing board? So that's a, that's a really good question. So, so as you were saying, um, each Congress, it lasts two years. So it was uh, this Congress, the 114th Congress is coming to an end this December. We're really hopeful that the bill will pass this Congress. But if it does not, we really laid very strong groundwork for it to be uh, reintroduced in the next Congress. And even though the bill would have to be introduced again at the start of a new Congress, the AO has done such great work about going out and educating members, both in the House and Senate, on the benefits of the RAISE Act. And it is, it is surely not a waste. It will be a very good start in the next Congress if it comes to that. Hari, for our listeners who uh, would like to encourage their representatives in the House to support the, the RAISE Act, what do you suggest they do? We really strongly encourage you to, to reach out 
as much work as we do and will continue to do from here in D.C., it really is important for your representatives to hear directly from you and what the RACE Act would mean for your patients. So the, the best way to find out who represents you in Congress, there's a website that is called Find Your Representative. You can go there and just plug in your zip code and it will tell you the two members of Congress that, that represent where you, or the member of Congress and the two senators that represent where, where you live. I'd like to mention that members who'd like to encourage their patients to support the RAISE Act can go to the AAO's consumer website, mylifemysmile.org, and look for the link that says Support FSA Increase. And there's a suggested letter people can send to their representatives in Congress and a link to that same website that you just mentioned, Pari, to enter your zip code and find uh, those who represent you in Congress. In addition, uh, AAO members are welcome to, uh, to link that page on the AAO website to their own websites and social media channels and in that way encourage their patients and patient families to uh, support the RAISE Act and make mention of that too in their practice newsletters. Yeah, and, and another thing I'd like to add that the AAO has, has done is there's now a RAISE Act hashtag that got started at the Professional Advocacy Conference. We've seen a lot of use of hashtag AO Raise and encourage you to use that as well. That's great. Thank you very much. And that is uh, Pari Modi from Arnold and Porter, the AAO's Legislative Council in Washington, D.C., who was also joined by her colleague, Amy Smith, from Arnold and Porter. Thank you for joining us today. Thank, Thank you. you for having us. Well, that was a great discussion. And, and uh, Kevin and Sean, let's talk a little bit more. This just really underscores to me the fact that the AAO is addressing head-on the concerns about student debt. Exactly. And, you know, I think you could you could hear what they're saying, and this is not news to anybody, but things do not move quickly in Washington unless there's some kind of crisis. In this case, it's not quite to a crisis situation yet, but we've known for some time at the AO that student debt is is becoming an increasing burden. You have new graduates coming out of ortho residency with higher levels of debt and generally speaking, in most areas of the country, fewer fewer opportunities for uh, buying into a practice or taking over a practice or employment opportunities, even or independent contractor status. So it's 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 a it's crunching new graduates on both ends. We at the AO know that we're working on ways to ease that burden, and one of the ways is like what what our folks at Arnold and Porter said. You know, let's try to find ways to make college debt more affordable. Let's find ways to make a student loan interest deduction, a, a bigger benefit that it, that applies to more people and, and erase the income ceiling on it and, and, and double the uh, deductible amount. Does it solve the problem? No, it doesn't. But it certainly is moving in the right direction. And what else are we doing to help our young AAO members? You know, Pam, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be introducing a um, a comprehensive packet for Basically, any graduate coming out of school, what what is the basics of what they need to know to start and hopefully succeed in an orthodontic practice? And, and just to tease, just a few things that we're going to put in there. Uh, comprehensive contract guide. So no matter if you are coming out and becoming an employee with a practice, becoming an independent contractor, or buying into a practice, some common clauses, what they mean, what you need to have in a contract, absolutely. Frequently asked questions. I mean, we get this a lot. I mean, there are about 20 or 30 frequently asked questions that we get that every orthodontist needs to know to succeed. Waivers and releases. We have a lot of waivers and releases on our website that I think uh, members are perhaps underused. 
in all of these waivers and releases, any new member, any new practice should be aware and have them. They're free to use. We're going to highlight those and talk more about how to use those. Um, summaries, uh, legal summaries. Now, you know, Sean and I can't act as anybody's personal attorney. We're the attorneys for the AO. But we have the luxury of being able to provide general legal advice, things that will save members thousands of dollars in the front end, or perhaps direct them in the way, direct them as to what the most pertinent questions are to ask their own practice attorney. One of the most frequently asked questions that we get is, when can I terminate a patient? How can I terminate the patient? Uh, Can I do it based upon non-payment? When can I do it? Uh, We have some pretty comprehensive summaries that we're going to put in to that uh, new member packet along with just other general regulatory issues like HIPAA. I mean, things that most of our members have to deal with. So I think, you know, Pam, looking forward before the annual session, we're going to be able to roll that out. And I hope that it will be seen. I'm pretty confident it will be seen as a a big benefit to, to folks who are getting ready to graduate or who have graduated in the last year or two. And they're looking for just general business advice and legal risk mitigation. And hopefully we'll do a podcast on it when it's ready. Absolutely. Very good. And, Pam, I'd just like to uh, highlight the fact, and as Kevin mentioned, there's a lot of initiatives that really affect our younger members. So to the extent that there's a member out there that might feel at times, what is the AO doing for me as a young member? The AO definitely hears what their concerns are. We're trying to address them both, as you see, with the educational bills, as well as these different initiatives that we'll be rolling out in the weeks ahead. So listen to the podcast for information, watch your e-bulletin, and uh, visit the AAO website. Visit our social media channels on Facebook and Twitter, and stay abreast of what's going on, the work that AAO is doing for you, the AAO member. And that's a wrap for Episode 14 of the AAO's The Business of Orthodontics podcast. Thanks to Kevin Dillard, the AAO's General Counsel, and Sean Murphy, the AAO's Associate General Counsel, as well as our guests Amy Smith and Pari Modi from the firm of Arnold & Porter, the AAO's Legislative Counsel in Washington, D.C. Join us for future podcasts as AAO experts explore questions and issues that are important to you in your orthodontic practice. If you have subject areas you'd like to hear addressed on a future podcast, please email them to info at aaortho.org or call 800-424-2841. This is Pam Paladin. Thanks for listening to the Business of Orthodontics podcast, episode 14.